random acts of kindness can be powerful tools for the gospel in our lives. As I look back on my own life, I can see innumerable moments where someone reached out to me and it made a difference. It impacted the course of my life. Simple things uh, sometimes. I remember in eighth grade, um, I'm going to mess with the camera, guys. Uh, I can't stand that far back. Um, in eighth grade, I was having a rough day, uh, feeling pretty down. It was not unusual, but this day was noticeable, I guess, not only to me, but as I came into choir, I sat down and just kind of hung my head in my hands, and this guy who sat next to me, who was way cooler than I was, uh, and um, we had different circles of friends, and we knew each other's names, but I didn't really think he saw me ever. Um, not because he was a mean guy, but just, I assumed, the worst. Uh, but he came into choir, sat down next to me, and he seemed to be having a great day, and he just turned to me and said, are you doing okay? And I kind of blew him off, and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And he was like, seriously, are you doing okay? It doesn't look like you are. And just the fact that this guy, like, paid enough attention to how I was doing, like, kind of changed, like, oh, maybe I'm seeing more than I assumed that about myself. Uh, similar situation as I, you're seeing patterns in my life, but um, <laughs> as I started college, uh, not knowing anybody else on campus, living in one of the dorms, uh, and just kind of assuming, I had met some people, uh, but still it was kind of hard. I, I was a shy guy, and I didn't find my way into community very easily. Um, and so just trying to figure that out and feeling, just kind of assuming that I was going to be lonely. Uh, but these other guys who lived on my floor but on a different wing, wing would walk past my room to get to the dining hall. And so, and they were leaders in one of the campus ministries. Uh, and they stopped by and knocked on my door and said, Hey, Brian, do you want to come eat with us? And they didn't just do it once. They did it again and again. And I found community, and they became my friends through college. They're silly little moments that those people who impacted me probably would have assumed it was just the thing to do. It wasn't like this remarkable thing that they planned to influence my life, but they just did something good, and it mattered. This morning, we're taking a little break from our journey through Hebrews, and yes, we did read all of it, and we got through it all last week, but next week, we're going to wrap it all up. Um, but today is Confirmation Sunday, and in a little bit, you're going to be able to hear the verses from our confirmands. It's a smaller class this year, so we uh, are able to make time in this service for you to hear them too, and so they're super excited to be able to say it twice in front of lots of people. Um, <laughs> But, uh, um, but we're taking a little break from our Hebrews journey to just highlight the call of the gospel. This passionate declaration of God 
that he loves us. And we're going to take a look at that from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, Titus is uh, one of the smaller books, uh, one of the smaller letters, shorter letters from Paul. Uh, it's in the pastoral letters, so he's writing to Titus, a pastor that he established uh, to lead and shepherd this congregation uh, that was still kind of forming in Crete. It was a tough post. Uh, Crete was, Cretans were known to be liars. They were deceptive and no one trusted them. They lived for pleasure and they lived for themselves. And so it was a tough place to like kind of find elders and establish them and establish this church. But uh, the work had begun and Paul chose Titus kind of lead the charge and help get this thing formed. And so we're near the close of this letter in chapter 3, but we hear these words from Paul to this pastor. Starting at verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And this may need new batteries. Can somebody just change the slide for me? Um, Verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning And we thank you for the richness, the treasure that the gospel is. We thank you for the ways that you've influenced us by other people, for our good, that we would hear the truth, that we would be encouraged, that we would move toward you, that we would grow in faith. And as we reflect on this passage this morning, we pray that you would help us to see you in your fullness to recognize your glory and your generosity, that we would hear your voice telling us the truth about our need, but inviting us to come to you as you generously pour out your grace and mercy to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, my remote is done, and so I just need you to switch that slide. 
Uh, so these first two verses, uh, if I were only trying to highlight the gospel, I would have started verse 3. Uh, it's tough to start with a passage that is about application, but it's an election week, uh, and it just seemed important to note these incredible verses that Paul wrote to Titus and that God writes for us. And so, as we look at these first two verses, we're reminded that the gospel calls God's people to be peaceable even in an unruly world. Crete was a nasty place. People were living for themselves, living for pleasure. They wanted to assert themselves over authority. It was a tough place, and they were all so committed to living for themselves that they were known as people who could not be trusted because they would say anything to get what they want. And so Paul writes to Titus, and God writes to us. I don't know how many of you are worn out by election season. It brings out the worst in us. We call people names. We find little sound bites to twist what they say and what they think. We do it again and again so that we feel like we can't trust anybody. But God is clear that the way he calls us to is very different than the way our society functions. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that in confirmation we teach that there are three uses of the law. One is, the first is a curb. It's good for all society to know that if we follow these principles, it's easier for us to live in community with each other. Can you imagine what our society would be like if, if we just grabbed out slander no one? The Eighth Commandment, the way we count them, uh, says that we should not bear false witness against our neighbor. And as we study the, the meaning, it's even richer than that. It doesn't say to just not lie about them, but it says to guard their reputation. That we're actually encouraged by the Eighth Commandment to think the best of everyone. To assume the best in their attentions and in their motives. And so, in the meaning, it tells us, as we study it, that even if we know something that's negative about them, that's true, it's only good for us to share that if we do that in love, to like challenge them and to point them to Jesus, or because we're loving our other neighbors by letting them know that this person is dangerous or whatever. It's hard. It's not how we live. The second use of the law is a mirror that shows our sin and our need for our Savior. As we read these two verses, it's hard to get through all that list of things and not feel like 
hmm. yeah, I didn't do that very well this last week. As I think about the ways I was talking about some of these candidates or whatever, hmm, I do need Jesus. I'm so thankful that he came and that his death covers all my sin. The third use of the law is as a coach. It's similar to the first use of the law, but different because now it's not just good principles for life, but now it tells us what the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is capable of doing in us. As we have been transformed by the gospel, brought from death to life and made the children of God, that now as we recognize this sin in ourselves, we might not be able to accomplish this and do lots better on our own, but the Holy Spirit lives in us and convicts us of our sin, and as we confess, He empowers us to follow after Jesus, and He transforms us to be better than we were on our own. That we are, in a new way, by the power of the Spirit and not in our own righteousness, capable of being peaceable, considerate, and always gentle to everyone. He can do that in us, and we can trust him for that. It's not going to happen right now, probably, all completely, but we can grow in it. So, I encourage you to vote on Tuesday. I encourage you to pray for the election. I encourage you to pray for wisdom as God leads us to make good choices. But whatever the results, however the world around us responds, God calls us to be people who will be subject to rulers and authorities who will honor who God has placed in charge of us, whether we think it was a mistake or not. So, an aside, but it's in Scripture, so I, I couldn't avoid it on election week. Um, second, the gospel reminds us that we are that we all come to Jesus broken and undeserving. Now, as Paul is writing to Titus, he's writing in the first century of Christ followers. When he himself can remember a time when he did not know Jesus and did not follow Jesus. It sounds like he knows that it's true of Titus as well. And it's fascinating that Paul uses words that would have described the Cretans to describe us. Paul says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul says, Our story, whatever it looks like for you, is the same as all these people around us that exhaust us with their sinful lives. We've all been there. Now some of us were baptized as infants and we grew up desiring to follow Jesus and we don't remember a time when we really backslid or uh, rebelled. And that is, that's awesome. That's a miraculous work of God in our lives. But even in those moments where we recognize our sin, we know we're not perfect. We know we haven't 
treated everyone with respect. Many of us have siblings, and that alone sets us, you know, like... Um, And we all have parents, and so that, there's disconnect there almost always. Um, and so we know that even if there's not a period, a season in our history where we can look back and go, wow, I was terrible, we still know that that sinful nature is part of us. And that these words, though we might choose different ones to describe exactly what our struggle has been, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We lived and still have it in our nature to be just like the people all around us. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, Not because we were smart enough, not because we understood how serious it was, not because we were just such good people already that he just wanted to bring us that little extra way. But because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs. Having the hope of eternal life. Especially for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for decades. It's easy for us to look at the sin in our society and just be so disappointed, lament it, and try to tell them that if they just cared about that sin, if they just fixed it a little bit more, they'd be closer to God. And society would be better for it. But it's important for us to remember now The gospel tells us the truth. It tells us all this disgusting stuff is in us, right? And it separates us from God. And Jesus, it mattered so much to God that Jesus himself died on the cross to pay for our sin. Our sin killed Jesus. And he did it for the joy set before him. That we recognize our sin and lay it at the cross and receive him in all his fullness. But we can get a little jaded, comfortable in our Christian circles and forget how much our own sin cost. So as we look at the sin around us that's kind of unfamiliar to us in lots of ways, at least anymore. You know, pride we get used to, so we find ways to justify that. You know, that's, everybody has that. But we see in our society sins that we don't always struggle with, and then we think, but that one should be obvious. 
The gospel reminds us that we all come to Jesus broken and undeserving, and that God's desire is that all would come to repentance and be rescued, to move from death to life. And so we want to be careful as God's people, as we interact with people around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, that we don't have crazy expectations that we ourselves can't measure up to. We want to tell the truth. But that truth is that we cannot solve our sin problem. And Jesus came for us. And there's no better news than that. The God of the universe knows our names, knows all, everything we've ever done, and loves us in the midst of it, and died to take care of it. And then verse 8. God's generous grace equips broken people to bless others. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul says. And I want you, Titus, to stress these things. Emphasize them. Remind the people again and again. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Because these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We want to be people who offer cups of cold water in Jesus' name. It's one of the reasons that we raise money to install wells in Chad, Africa. It's why we give backpacks away to kids at the beginning of the school year. It's why we raise money to provide weekend meals for kids at Lakeshore. It's why we want to come alongside our neighbors and help them know that we see them and that they're cared for, just like those guys did in my life. When I felt alone and undeserving and kind of worthless, God sent people into my life to remind me that he saw me and that I was worth more than I thought. And we get to do that for the people in our circles of influence. We get to be the light that reminds them that the God of the universe made them on purpose and knows them. That they don't have to hide all the things that are wrong in their lives because he knows it already and he loves them in the midst of it and he wants to set them free. That he alone is capable doing such a miraculous and incredible thing. So Paul wants this pastor in this hard place where people are known for their lying and deception and their passion for pleasure to remind them again and again and again that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. 
And so that is God's invitation to us as well. To be prayerfully considering our neighbors and saying, Lord, I know you're at work. I know you love them. I know you want to do incredible things for them. How are you opening up doors? Help me be aware. Help me see it. So that when those doors open up, when the windows open up, I can reach in, care for them, and point them to you. Because when we do good things, it's excellent and profitable for everyone. It makes everybody better. Because God is at work doing his incredible, generous, gracious work in us, through us, despite us. Because he loves us and he loves the people around us. And Jesus died so that we could all be set free from our sin and become children of God. It sounded really serious and somber, but it's really happy news. So let's pray, and then I'll bring up these students who are excited to be up front today. Father God, we come before you. We thank you that you always tell us the truth. That we're secure in your love so that even when we hear hard things, we don't have to run and hide from you like Adam and Eve did, but we get to stay put because Jesus paid for our sin. So we pray that you would help us hear these words this morning, that you would convict us of our sin and release us from it. We pray that you would anchor us Strengthen us. Help us shape our whole identity around who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That the gospel would truly be our strength. And we pray that you would guide us and equip us. We know that you are alive and at work. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. That as we interact with the people around us, they would experience you and how generously you want to reach out to them and lavish them with grace and mercy as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.